Welcome to my favorite theorem, the math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and I am joined today, as always, by my fabulous co-host. Well, thank you. I am <laughs> Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City. And um, anyone who's on this Zoom, which is only us and our guest, can see that I am bragging with my uh, Zoom background mm -hmm. right now. We just got back from a trip to Southern Utah, and I took possibly the best picture I've ever taken in my life. And 95% of the credit goes to the clouds because they just above these uh rock red rock mm -hmm. hoodoos outside of bryce canyon and i just i turned around and looked at it while we were hiking and i was like oh my gosh i it, have to capture this it is quite my the little picture. iphone yeah. <laughs> managed yeah. yeah 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 well yeah they're pretty good now yeah anyway so uh yeah well i'm i'm getting ready to I've, i have three trips in the next three weeks so um lots and lots of travel and i'm gonna make sure i mask up and hopefully don't come home with covid but uh we'll, yes. we'll, we'll see anyway uh so today we are pleased to welcome matthew kale matt why don't you introduce yourself hi everyone uh thanks for having me kevin and evelyn um i'm a i'm a mathematician uh here at the ohio state university <laughs> in columbus ohio i've been here for 11 or 12 years now. And uh, before that, I spent a good part of my life in the Western United States. So those clouds look uh, familiar to me, Evelyn. I, yeah. uh, I miss the Colorado skies sometimes. Yeah, mm -hmm. just amazing here. Yep. You, you did your degree in Seattle, right? I, I did. I, yep. I uh, did, did my PhD at University of Washington. Yep, yep. Well, Great. So... And what is your, your general research field? Yep. I work a little bit between fields. My, my main interests are topology, combinatorics, and also probability and statistical physics. And I, uh, I think I usually feel most comfortable or maybe I should say most excited uh, mathematically when, when there's sort of more than one thing going on or when it's in the intersection of more than one field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of randomness in your work. That's uh, that very cool stuff with random topology. And I remember uh, some paper you had a few years ago, I remember really sort of blew my mind where you had some, you were just computing homology of these random simplicial complexes and like some four or five complex had torsion of order, you know, I don't know, 10 to the 12th or something, some crazy torsion coefficients. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we were surprised by this too, and we yeah. and we still don't really have any uh, any way to prove it or um, mm -hmm. really understand it very deeply. But the, Kevin was mentioning some experimental work I did with some mm -hmm. um, collaborators a few years ago. But yeah, that is the um, you know the gist of a lot of what I think about is random topology, which I sometimes try to sum up as uh, the study of random shapes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. one of the original motivations for this was uh, as sort of a null hypothesis for topological data analysis. Right. That if you want to do statistical methods and if you want to use topological and geometric methods in statistics and in data science, you need a probabilistic foundation. But one of the things we've discovered over the last 15 years or so is that you know, these random shapes are interesting for their own sake as well. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. sometimes they have very interesting, even bizarre properties where we don't even know how to construct shapes that have these properties at all, mm -hmm. but um, but there they are. They, and we know they exist uh, because of the probabilistic method. Yeah. So let me be the very naive person who asks, like, how do you 
uh, I guess, come up with, uh, like, like, what do you randomize about shapes or, or like, mm. you know, I, if I think about, I don't know, randomly drawing from, from some sort of, I don't know, bucket of properties, like, is it that, or is it, yeah, I just, what is random, what quantity <laughs> or, or quality is being randomized? Right. So, uh, a lot of the, uh, random shapes or spaces that I've studied have have been on the combinatorial or discrete side. So if you take a, for example, there's lots of different types of random simplicial complex that people have studied by now. And uh, typically you have just some, some probability distribution, some, some way of making a random simplicial complex on N vertices and N can be anything. But it's um, but then the the yoga of the subject is that typically n goes to infinity. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, and then we're interested in like sort of the asymptotic properties as your as your random shape grows. So one of the uh, sort of mod early motivations or early inspirations for the subject of random simplicial complexes was random graph theory. Mm -hmm. You know, so you can you can create random networks various ways and people have been studying that for for a bit longer, probably at least 60 years or so now mm -hmm. with um, new models and new interesting um, ideas coming along uh, all the time. And so, you know, so for example, there was originally the erdos renyi model of random graph where the edges all have equal probability and they're all independent. This is a beautiful model mathematically and it's been studied extensively. We really know lots and lots about that model of random graph now, um, although surprisingly people can continue to discover new things about it as well. Mm -hmm. But in, in today's world, they some people have studied other models of random graphs that they say may have <clears throat> uh, may better model uh, real world networks, for example, mm -hmm. social networks or what we see in epidemiology and so mm -hmm. on. The, uh, the uh, erdos renyi model is, is something that's tractable and that we can prove deep math theorems about, but it might not be the best model uh, mm -hmm. for real world networks. But, uh, you know, I think of the random simplicial complexes that, that I study sometimes as just higher dimensional versions of random graphs. Okay. So as well as as well as vertices and edges, we can have higher dimensional cells in there. And and that starts to sort of enrich the space. It's not just one dimensional now. It could be two dimensional or it could be any dimension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you you might not know you've got some large number N and you might not know what dimension this random, you know, you, you're like attaching with edges, you know, with some sort of probability uh, between any two things. And so you might not know what dimension your simplicial complex is going to be until after you randomly assign all of these edges mm -hmm. and faces and, you know, n comp whatever, whatever the word is for that, n, n mm -hmm. things. Yeah, <laughs> n absolutely. That's, yeah. that's right. That that's, <clears throat> it could be that the dimension of the random simplicial complex is itself a random variable mm. and mm -hmm. um you know that we don't ahead of time even know what the dimension of it is okay right. cool yeah. so there's lots to do here this is why matt has lots of students and lots of lots of good projects to work on but anyway we invited you on not just to talk about this really interesting mathematics but uh, to find out what your favorite theorem is so uh, so what is it 
Okay, so I've been thinking about this. Uh, well, I, I have to admit, I think I, I asked myself this just ha- knowing of your podcast in mm. case I ever got invited on. <laughs> and, then I've, and then I've been thinking about it, um, you know, since you invited me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say my favorite math theorem, the, probably the one I've thought about the most, the one maybe that affects me the most is the uh, Euler's polyhedral formula, mm-hmm. which is uh, V minus E plus F equals two. Right. So let's let's just start out saying, well, you know, what do we mean by this? Well, I think my understanding of the history of it is that it was something that as far as we know, the Greeks didn't observe, even though they were interested in convex polyhedra. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people consider, you know, the, the classification of the perfect platonic solids as one of the peak contributions of Euclid's elements. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that they that they recognize this pattern that Euler uh, noticed thousands of years later. If you take any convex polyhedron, a cube or an icosahedron or a pyramid, a bipyramid, any kind of three-dimensional polyhedral shape that you can imagine that's convex, V, the vertices, is the sort of number of corners of the shape, and E is the number of edges, um, and then F is the faces, uh, it always is the case that V minus E plus F equals 2. So so Euler noticed this, and it's not clear if he gave a rigorous proof or not. He Mm -hmm. might... I, I don't even know if he felt like anything needed to be proved. Maybe it was obvious to him. And nowadays we have many, many beautiful proofs of this mm-hmm. uh, fact. But what, one of the things that strikes me about it is, uh, and it, you know, it's sort of in hindsight, is that uh, this is just sort of the tip of an, a very big iceberg. That right. this is there, there's a much more general fact. Uh, that we are just kind of getting our first glimpses of. And mm-hmm. nowadays we would think of this as not just a phenomenon about convex polyhedra and three-dimensional space, that it's just a general phenomenon in algebraic topology, or you could say even more generally in homological algebra. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just sort of a, a feature of nature somehow. Right, right. I think something that I really enjoy about this fact is, you know, you can, you can present it at, at first as a theorem or as a fact, but then this fact kind of leads you to this new definition that you can observe about all sorts of different shapes. You Mm -hmm. know, this number that is the vertices uh, minus the edges plus the faces, hopefully I got, yes, (laughs) in the right order, Um, (laughs) that that then you can assign that, you know, you can say like, what does, you know, if you've got a a torus like or a polyhedral Mm -hmm. torus or you know a higher genus object or a higher dimensional thing you know you can sort of use this and so it's like a fact becomes a a definition or a new thing to observe Mm -hmm. that's right are you saying for example you know we have the euler characteristic Mm -hmm. as an invariant of a space and that, that might if you're if you're introduced to a new topological space that might be one of the first things you might like to know about it Mm-hmm. And right. um, so, yeah, it, it becomes its own uh, invariant. You know, it's a way of telling different some different spaces apart, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So do you have a favorite proof of this favorite theorem? I, I do. Uh, um, mm. I, I present it in the graduate combinatorics and uh, graph theory course when I when I mm-hmm. teach this course. 
Um, so already we're, we're looking at a little bit more general formulation than what Euler looked at. We don't just have a convex polyhedron in three-dimensional space. What we have is a connected planar graph, right? right? So we have some kind of network um, with nodes and connections between them. And it's one that you can draw on the plane without any of the edges or connections crossing. And in this case, um, the faces now are just going to be the, the connected components or the regions and the complement of the graph that, you know, that mm -hmm. comes with an embedding into the plane. And then V is the number of vertices of the graph and mm -hmm. E is the number of edges. So, so V minus E plus F equals two in this case also for, for just uh, any connected planar graph. Mm -hmm. This, it might seem totally unrelated, but it's actually a more general version than what we just saw with convex polyhedron because you could take any convex polyhedron and unwrap it mm -hmm. or stereographically project it into the plane and get a planar graph. Right. Uh, but, but planar graphs could have lots of other features. So when I present this in class, I tend to give three or four different proofs of it. There's a beautiful proof that I've, I've heard attributed to John Conway where mm. he, he says something about like letting in the ocean or something. So, so your graph is connected, but there may be some cycles in it. Mm -hmm. that and anytime you have cycles, the Jordan curve theorem tells us there's an inside and an outside. Mm -hmm. So John Conway wants to let the ocean in. The ocean is the sea, is the, mm -hmm. is the outside of the graph. Let it in till it touches. So, so what he's saying is if there's any cycle, delete one edge from it. Mm -hmm. And so what this does is it reduces the number of um, edges by one because you deleted an edge, but it also reduces the number of faces by one because mm -hmm. the two um, regions that were inside and outside of that cycle are now the same region. So V minus E plus F has stayed the same. Right. And then and then eventually you've just got a tree. There's no more cycles left, but mm -hmm. your graph is still connected. So it must be a tree. And we know that every finite tree with at least two vertices has a leaf, mm -hmm. has a vertex of degree one. And again, you can prune away that. And then you've you've reduced the number of vertices by one and the number of edges by one. Um, and uh, V minus E plus F has, uh, again, not changed. Mm -hmm. So at the very, very end, we're just left with a single vertex in the plane. There's one vertex and there's one region, which is everything except that vertex. So at the very end, V minus E plus F equals two. But through all those steps, we know that it never changed. Mm -hmm. So it must have been V minus E plus F. Uh, it must have been two at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So that, I love that proof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, there, uh, I, there's another proof that I think I like even better, which is that you consider the dual graph and... Um, a spanning. So you take a spanning tree on the original graph and a spanning tree on the dual graph at the same. So the time. dual graph being where you replace you you swap um, vertices and faces. Yes. So for every that, face is a vertex, and you join two when the two faces share an edge. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So one thing that's tricky about that when you say um, is that now the dual of even just a, a nice planar graph might be a multigraph. Mm. So, um, so just imagine a triangle on the plane. The dual graph has two vertices, one inside the triangle and one outside. Mm -hmm. But there's three edges connecting those mm -hmm. um, those two vertices because there's three edges in the original graph. Right. And that the edges in the dual graph have to correspond to edges in the original graph, and mm -hmm. that's an important. Then they cross them transversely. Mm -hmm. So then, 
you choose a spanning tree on on each one and you and you realize that um how you count the number of edges in each and you you somehow now i'm getting a little stuck remembering the proof but that the punchline is in in the original graph i guess the number of edges is v minus one and then in the dual graph the spinning tree um the number of edges is f minus one and uh these have to be in correspondence so you just immediately just write down v minus one equals uh sorry um no, I don't. I don't remember exactly how the the end of that proof goes, but th there was something about it I liked. That um, it seemed like the other proofs you kind of do induction on either the number of vertices mm -hmm. or the number of edges or the number of faces, and that you have to make some arbitrary choices. Right. And this proof that by duality doesn't use any induction, mm. but and um and doesn't require any choices. It just um. It, it just kind of comes for free and you sort of immediately see where the two comes from because there's sort of a V minus one on one side and an F minus one on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, so the two just sort of pops out immediately from the proof. Um, mm. There's a, a, I think it's Epstein. Some, some mathematician collects proofs of uh, Euler's polyhedral formula mm -hmm. on his website and he mm -hmm. has, at least 10 or 20 different proofs. Right. And uh, when you read them all, some of them start to remind you of each other. And you, you, who knows what counts as a, the same proof or different proofs. Sure. But there, there's some neat contributions in there. That One of them he attributes to Bill Thurston mm. uh, in the middle of some very like influential notes that Thurston had in differential geometry. And, and he's talking, he's giving his own proof I think that the Euler characteristic of a differential manifold really is an invariant of the of the manifold, mm. um, like uh, uh, for a smooth manifold, let's say that that you could triangulate it, and then the Euler formula, the Euler characteristic, you could just say is the alternating sum of the faces of every dimension. But why is that? Why doesn't that depend on which triangulation you pick? Mm -hmm. And Thurston gave a really beautiful kind of almost physical argument with like moving charges around. Oh. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just so I like to show the class this one also. At that point, we leave. It, I don't know how to make that proof work for planar graphs, but uh, we it works beautifully for a polyhedron mm -hmm. for a convex mm -hmm. polyhedron like what Euler first noticed. Mm -hmm. And and apparently it works also for higher dimensional manifolds too. Although I've never um, gone through that proof carefully. Yeah. Right. Well. The, the proof that you said might be attributed to Conway is sort of the one that I always knew, and I never heard it attributed to him, but that's good. Um, it, it's it's sort of nice. You can explain that one to, to just about anybody, right? You just sort of imagine you're just, I mean, just plucking away an edge and a face yeah. at the same time, basically. Yeah. A proof that I, a proof that is of something that is kind of so visual, but you can really understand over a podcast is a special proof. Yeah. Because I, I do think that it doesn't take a whole lot of... Uh, you know, imagination to, mm -hmm. to be able to follow this, uh, audially. Mm -hmm. Audially. That's, is that a new word? <laughs> well, I, that there is a real word that is embedded in that word. I yeah. Think. <laughs> orally, orally, that's there you go. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. So is this, this sort of a love at first sight theorem? I, I think I first learned this theorem in the context of graph theory. And then, of course, I, I think for me, too. Yeah. And then I became a topologist kind of later. And then, of course, now I think of it as, oh, it's the alternating sum of the Betty numbers. But that those two quantities are equal is an interesting theorem in its own right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I I was trying to think about this. When did I learn about this theorem? And I think I first learned it in graph theory also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then, but then I know now that it's much more general. And I don't even know if I ever remember anyone telling me that specifically in a class or reading mm-hmm. it in a particular book or paper. I think it this has. I think this to me maybe part of what I like about the Euler formula is that um, I feel like my understanding of it's just deepened over time mm-hmm. and that there's like kind of a series of small revelations. At some point, you know, I started thinking of it as the alternating some of the Betty numbers mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And since I like the combinatorial side of topology and have simplicial complexes or cell complexes, um, also the alternating some of the, the number of faces in each dimension, but then it, I think even in the last couple of years, my understanding has continued to develop because now I think, you know, well, you could just have a chain complex mm-hmm. and um, and all you know is the dimensions of the vector spaces. But it makes sense to ask what's the homology of the chain complex. So there are the Betty numbers again. And, the you know, again, the alternating sum of the Betty numbers is now is the alternating sum of the dimensions mm-hmm. of the vector spaces of your chain complex. So, uh but I think I probably first saw, you know, the the graph theory version of it maybe in an undergrad or mm-hmm. a first graduate combinatorics course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the other thing on this podcast uh, is we like to ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So so what have you chosen to pair Euler's formula with? Well, I, you know, I've been stumped by this. But, you know, thanks for the the warning that I am going to get asked this question. So at least I had a little time to um, to think about it, and I'm not totally stumped on the spot. Uh, but I, the thing that keeps coming to mind the most when I ask myself that question is uh, some of Bach's music. Mm. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach is really known for, uh, you know, his four part harmonies and mm-hmm. for counterpoint, and it. It feels a little bit like this. You're listening to, you know, a beautiful piece of, it could be anything, you know, a fugue on an organ or like four-part harmonies that were written for, um, you know, choral music or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can, when you listen to it, you can listen to a recording of it two or three times and each time pick out a different voice to, to follow along. And they're, they're just these independent melodies, harmonies that he's somehow weaving together. You can also just like relax and just let the whole thing wash over you. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's most often how I listen to music. But it's, it's completely fascinating to just like um, hone in on one particular thread. And so that so of course, I think a lot of people feel like box music has maybe a a mathematical feeling to it or that it's, it's mathematically perfect or precise. Uh, so you could say that Bach pairs with mathematics um, already, but the reason I want to try to connect it with the, the Euler formula that I like as my favorite theorem is that there's these sort of different layers and just the same way you can kind of like listen for one voice mm-hmm. and then uh, tune your ear and listen to a different voice and emphasize that, I feel like there's this is one of these areas of one of these kind of mathematical phenomena that it's just sitting there and, you know, platonic space or wherever it lives. And you can look at it 
So if you look at it from the um, topological point of view, it's the alternating sum of the Betty numbers, the number of holes in each dimension. But if you look at it through a combinatorial lens, then it's the alternating sum of the number of faces of each dimension. Um, or, or you can just step back and, and it's just its own thing. It's just an invariant of mm -hmm. the space, the Euler characteristic. And these are just happen to be different ways to, to compute it. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it has that feeling to me of um, that there's, yeah, you can look at it different ways, um, but you're, you're really always looking at the same thing. It just, uh, we're putting on different glasses or looking at it through different lenses. And it, so it reminds me of that sort of, um, I don't know, counterpoint in music or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love this pairing. I'm also, I play viola and I mm -hmm. sing. And when you get to a point when you, you've learned a piece that you've learned it enough that you don't have to be just concentrating on like, am I singing the right note right at the right time? But you can actually start hearing like, oh, I didn't, didn't originally hear that the parallel that the bass and the soprano line has right here or the way we come in and then the altos come in and you know, something like that. Uh, I've been singing a lot of, uh, you know, things that have these fugal sections in them, which is, I haven't actually sung much Bach recently, but mm -hmm. um, similar things. And I just love that pairing that and how seeing the same thing or singing the same music over and over again, you can, you hear something different every time. Mm -hmm. Um you know, just a, a little Easter egg that you didn't pick up the first 20 times you practice this piece. And then now you hear and you say, oh, next time I really want to make sure that I, you know, do that crescendo with the tenors just perfectly or something. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Yeah. So I see the I see the edge of a, of a keyboard there in your Zoom, Matt. Do you play? A little bit. Yeah. I'm, I mean, nothing to write home about, but mm -hmm. it's something I enjoy. And uh, I took I took it back up uh, during the pandemic mm -hmm. as a um and as a hobby and uh, i've been practicing a little bit this over here i have a little portable keyboard and mm -hmm. then i have uh, an electric piano out mm -hmm. in the living room mm -hmm. but i've been um i've been practicing music with one of my friends we get together like once a week and and just play you know some uh you know cover songs mm -hmm. and uh I, I like what you're saying, Evelyn, about hearing different things. Even, you know, they're uh, it's like, we'll, we'll be playing some song from by REM or mm -hmm. something that, that I've known, I don't know, it seems like my whole life. It's very familiar. But once we start to play it, once we start to um, sing it, then I have a, I hear all kinds of different things mm -hmm. in it that just listening to the same recording that I've listened to before, all of a sudden I'm like, wait, Mark, Mike Mills is actually doing some really interesting harmonizing in this track. And and not only is he harmonizing, like singing different notes than what Michael Stipe is singing, he's actually singing different words. He's saying something mm -hmm. in that song I never even noticed he was saying. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I, I, music and mathematics, I think that's probably another big thing that they have in common is that um, you, you know, a little bit can go a long way and even just entry level, you can already start to appreciate the, the beauty of it, you know, but that it's sort of almost inexhaustible how deep it goes and that you can always, there's always more to learn. Mm -hmm. There's, there's always more to notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. With Bach specifically, um, you know, as a viola student, I think I started playing the Bach cello suites, you know, an octave up on the viola. Mm -hmm. I was probably like 
10 or 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I will still play those same suites that I started learning when I was in fifth grade. And I, it's like, it always has something to teach me. It's something that like, I can always get something more out of. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that, that, that Mike Mills is REM's secret weapon. Um, <laughs> you know, I took up the guitar about 10 years ago, so I'm terrible and I play alone. But um, it's still something that I enjoy to do. It's certainly, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it's a good way to exercise your, what, what was it Leibniz said? That uh, music is the pleasure the, the brain der derives from counting without knowing that it's counting. Oh, yeah. Right. It's a good yeah. Good one. To, good yeah. little quote to file away for yeah. us math yeah. musician That's right. type people. That's right. All right. Well, so uh, we always like to give our guests a chance to plug anything. Uh, where, where can we find you on the uh, the interwebs? Maybe yeah, I don't have anything particular to yeah. plug, but uh, you can find, uh, you know, all my mathematical work on my professional webpage matthewkale.org mm -hmm. uh, all my there's links to all my papers and everything there yep. and uh you know if my if my friend and i get our rem uh cover band off the uh off the ground we'll we'll keep you posted yeah yeah, yeah all our columbus our listeners can uh <laughs> find you i can play rhythm guitar on some of the tracks if you need somebody but I... <laughs> all right we'll, we'll have to all get together if you come out and visit in columbus yeah 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 all right. Well, this has been yeah, great Thank fun. you so much yeah. for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpkinnison.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at nivicnazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of